Okay, we're going to go into Dr. Simon's case. Patient's a 61-year-old male with only a past medical history of hypertension who was diagnosed with prostate cancer based on a PSA of 4.1. He was a clinical T1C, normal feeling prostate. The biopsy showed Gleason 3 plus 3 equals 6. Adenocarcinoma in 1 out of 10 cores, 25% of that core. He elected to undergo radical prostatectomy, which he had in October 2006. Pathology showed PT2, Gleason 6. I should mention they also had negative lymph nodes, negative seminal vesicles, and negative margins, although it was apparently close, but negative. Can you kind of talk about this patient in terms of, you know, what his sort of background was, what his reaction was to this whole experience, his family situation? He's just a normal guy, basically. He was somewhat surprised by the diagnosis. He's been pretty healthy. He's not one to really spend a lot of time going to doctors. And he just had this blood test, and then they told him, go see the urologist. He didn't really know what was going on. I had took a lot of time talking to him, you know, on several occasions, explaining what was going on and made him bring his family in and discuss it before he came up with the decision. Did he see a radiation oncologist also? Yes. And what kind of was it, do you think, that prompted him to decide to have surgery? It's just a personal decision. He just wanted to hopefully take care of it in one shot, which obviously didn't work out here, but for whatever reason, with his discussions with his family and... Were you able to do nerve-sparing surgery on him? Yeah. So... What was the next time point in his course? The next time point is typical. As I see him at two weeks, take to 10 days, take the catheter out, six weeks to check their urination, and I don't check a PSA until three months post-op. And you see here the first PSA was 0.7, which I was pretty surprised about. So I repeated it about a month later, and it was 0.9. At that point, I sent him to a radiation oncologist for consultation. I didn't do any kind of preoperative workup because of his low stage. He didn't have a CT scan preoperatively. He didn't have a bone scan. So he did both of those. The bone scan was negative. The CT scan showed that he had a three centimeter right renal mass, which was solid enhancing, looked like a renal cell carcinoma on CT scan. Otherwise it was negative. There was no adenopathy. So Laurie, what would you be thinking at this point and would you want some additional information? I just want to clarify that he's now about six months post-op his PSA has gone yeah, from 0.7 yeah. to 0.9. Yeah, approximately five months, four or five months. The case is a little unusual in the sense that he has very favorable pathologic parameters and yet rapid PSA progression. In fact, if that rate of rise of his PSA continues at that rate, he's got very adverse prognostic features based on his doubling time and time to PSA failure. So... Um, Just a couple of caveats. The amyling data on the likelihood that PSA recurrence is a true bill is one of the key papers that addresses this. And in that Mayo Clinic series, even at a PSA of 0.7, about 25% of patients did not have subsequent biochemical progression. So I don't always assume, even at that level, that this is necessarily failure. Although a lot of people think that that Mayo Clinic data understates the likelihood of progression. And I think the likelihood in this patient is he's got true biochemical failure, recurrence of disease. So then the second point is, is it local or systemic? And based on the rate of rise, if it's a true bill, we need some other PSAs to confirm that. But based on the rate of rise and the time to failure, and the fact that he had negative margins, all of those point to his being more likely to have systemic failure rather than local. Would you want to go back and look at the pathology again? 
Yes, I would certainly go back and look at the report and say, you know, is there anything there that sounds marginal or suspicious? But I mean, this does happen. You do get rapid biochemical failure in patients who pathologically look very favorable. The bottom line is, I think most people would give this guy salvage radiation and probably a course of androgen deprivation adjuvant to the salvage radiation. And how would you work in evaluating the renal mass? That's a separate issue needs to be dealt with, likely. The only reason not to deal definitively with that renal mass is the idea that his survival is so compromised by his PSA recurrence that he's not at risk. But many patients with PSA failure do not go on to die of disease. So I think I would probably go ahead and treat his renal mass more or less contemporaneously. The alternative would be to wait and see how he does with respect to his biochemical recurrence and response to salvage therapy, monitor the mass, treat it if it progresses. But he's only 61. He may very well be at risk from that renal mass if he does well with respect to his prostate cancer. Anthony, any thoughts? So I would just ask a few questions. It was a bilateral nerve-sparing radical prostatectomy. And was it laparoscopic, open? Open. Open. And you've been doing open for a while. There's no concern that there's anything left in terms of residual benign prostate tissue. Uh, I don't think so. I do a pretty extensive bladder neck sparing, so there's the possibility of leaving some tissue there. So that's just one thing. But the issue, too, is if it had been benign, it probably wouldn't rise two-tenths of a point in a month. So the next thing is, I got the PSA of 4.1. Do we know what his PSAs were prior to the 4.1? I think that was his first one. Okay. Was there any perineural invasion seen on the biopsy specimen? Or any tertiary grade four? No, there was no grade four. I don't remember about the perineural invasion. Okay. I don't think so. But All right. uh, and there's no remember. reason to suspect that he's hypogonadal, right? He didn't have any erectile dysfunction. He had nerve sparing clearly because he was potent. All right. So what I'm trying to do is yeah. I'm just trying to find if there was anything else here going for a systemic, like Dr. Klotz said. If, clearly, he is going to get radiation. There's no question about that. But the next question is: Is there any issue with any systemic? part because I'm not convinced yet. I know the doubling time is 4.5 months if you just calculate it based on those two numbers, which is not a good place to be. Definitely go back and review the pathology. You know, sometimes there's a couple of papers that you said close but negative margins. There's a couple of papers where they've whole-mounted mm. radical prostatectomy and they find microscopic margins that were otherwise reported negative. So it sounds like the surgery was done well, that there were no any other adverse path findings that we can delineate at this point, that he has a persistent PSA with a fairly rapid rise. And so at this juncture, the only way to explain this, oh, there's one more thing. Has he had any other inflammatory or any lower urinary tract symptoms that could suggest a UTI? No. Okay, because, you know, the penile urethra makes PSA as well, very small amounts, less than 0.1, but in the setting of an infection, that could become elevated. So we've ruled that out. We see, I'm reluctant to want to give him hormonal therapy. You know, there's no proof for that. There's certainly proof for radiation in this setting. But for hormonal therapy, you know, it's quality of life. He's 61. But the thing going for that is this rapid rise in his PSA. Would you want to see a couple more PSAs? Well, it would be nice to repeat one, just to be sure that there isn't anything else unusual going on about the assay. Three months out usually should be long enough to see the decline, you know, at this point. So if you repeated another PSA and it still was rising, 
1.1 or higher, then yes, we're going to need to add a short course of hormonal therapy to How the radiation. How short and what MAB or not? And I use six months of hormonal therapy in this setting, and I use combined for the first couple of weeks and then monotherapy thereafter. No proof, no randomized data. Simply, I'm working off of this very short doubling time and otherwise favorable features. For the renal mass, it needs a biopsy or it needs some type of pathologic assessment. And then, depending upon where it's located, either a partial or a complete nephrectomy. But we normally actually don't do pathologic assessment of renal masses before treating them. So, so you just take it out? Yeah, pretty much. It's changing. But I'd say you know, 98% of renal masses are resected without a biopsy. So you'd finish his radiation, then do the surgery? I would. Again, I'm not a radiologist, but I know that there are certain special kinds of CAT scans that use Hounsfield units to try to detect what kind of pathology may be in this mass. And again, it's not my expertise, but if that was available, it could be a benign lesion. It could be an angiomyolipoma or something it's else. It's not an angiomyolipoma. No. Okay. No, but yes. It's got to come out. So so, then, but I mean, there's not enough marrow suppression from radiation, for example, to, want to delay surgery, or is there? No. No. Not, not with this kind of field. There's, no, there's almost no bone marrow in this field. So, Dan, what about the issue of choice of endocrine therapy, either now or, you know, as this PSA keeps going up? And I'm curious what your thoughts were of the recent ASCO position paper about endocrine therapy and specifically what they had to say about MAB. What was your take on that? It's controversial. There have been multiple studies showing different results. MAB, I use MAB mainly because one of the reasons is that that's what the Southwest Oncology Group does. I mean, I do that from group loyalty in one respect. But the other reason why is that it's a small amount of toxicity for, I think, it's a small benefit, but we do things that are more toxic, I believe, for less benefit. Yes, there may be an absolute value of 4% in the metastatic setting. There's nothing in the earlier setting, unfortunately, that tells us one way or the other whether MAB is better than, equal to, or inferior to monotherapy. I think Anthony's approach of giving the antiandrogen to prevent the flare is just as valid in this setting as my approach, which would be to do combined blockade. It's been interesting, Laura, to see how this has evolved. That paper actually cited the work that you did where you came to the conclusion that maybe there's a 20% benefit if you use bicalutamide. What kind of responses have you gotten to that? It was kind of an interesting methodology. (laughs) It was a methodology just to sort of fill out the picture that involved combining the results of trials to derive a hazard ratio for benefit. And it's actually a methodology that, although statisticians don't like it because it involves combining different trials, has been used by the FDA as the base for a number of drug approvals. And so it is accepted. But I think more to the point, there's a Japanese trial that has just been published actually in prostate cancer and prostatic diseases of bicalutamide versus placebo with LHRH that actually completely confirms that data. The benefit in that study, it hasn't reached survival maturity yet, but in terms of time to hormone refractory progression, the difference is dramatic. I agree with Dan that the evidence, given the low morbidity and associated with MAB, I tend to use in particular in the setting when you're giving fairly short-term therapy. Dr. Simon, what are you thinking about this patient as things move forward? Where do you think things are heading? Well, at this point, he's been receiving external beam radiation therapy. In fact, I believe he's just about finished. If Are you treating him? Yeah, maybe he's finished. And I saw they'd sent a PSA. It's starting to come down of 0.6, the first one, but that's just at the very end of the therapy. 
And as far as the renal mass is concerned, you know, we discussed this at the time of the diagnosis based on the CAT scan. And I told him I wasn't going to address it until after the radiation therapy. And probably I'd repeat a CT scan because it had been a few months anyway, see if it changed. It's going to need treatment. And we reviewed the options, including partial nephrectomy, possible laparoscopic nephrectomy, or an RFA ablation, depending on what he wants. So, Dan? I'm also glad to see that he did not have a preoperative CT scan or bone scan. Based upon the data that we know that the chances of having, given his clinical parameters, metastatic disease are extremely low. Most places up in New York or other areas, people by reflex will get the CT and bone scan. And here, I'm glad to see that he didn't have that done. Laurie, what's your approach in terms of doing pre-op staging? You know, how high a risk does a patient have to be to do that? It's different for bone scan and CT because of the relatively poor performance of CT in terms of sensitivity and specificity. Bone scan, I think if a patient has more than about a 5% chance of bone metastasis based on clinical and pathologic parameters, it's reasonable to do it, which is basically a PSA around 15 and or higher Gleason grade. And CT, I only really do for very high-risk patients for a number of reasons. It's not very accurate, and the lack of specificity means that even if the patient has a suspicious lymph node, it often doesn't change the management. So I only do CT in the very high-risk patient. 